Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's start at the very beginning. Very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. The first three notes just happen to be Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, In the Beginning, Part 2. Last week, we shared some of Lane's roadmap for how to find your lead. We talked about five things to know before you start writing, and we talked about the who, what, where, when, and why approaches. For this episode, Lane has broken down 10 kinds of beginnings. More fodder for you as you agonize over that latest story and think about how to get readers really into it. So here are 10 different kinds of story beginnings. The first one, appropriately, is called In the Beginning. (laughs) And you have an example from the Bible. (laughs) Well, I just started thinking about that. Like, what's the the greatest story ever told? What's the oldest lead in the history of the world? What's how the world began, right? So I was kind of fixated on In the Beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I mean... You can't really rewind your timeline much beyond that. <laughs> Particle matter coming together. Um, unless, but, unless you're a scientist. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> but then, yeah, then no, there's okay. other questions. But yeah, no, I think, you know, I, to me, that's the, the easiest place to start. And I, I think a place people are sometimes afraid to start is just start at the very beginning. Right. I'm it's not going to sing you that. It's not a music song, but like, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. I like, love that song. <laughs> I love that like, movie. All right. But it's it's the once upon a time. It's, it's the, once upon a time. It's the right. way we grew up. It's what we heard and how people started a lot. They start a lot of books. And it's kind of the oldest and most time-tested way to start any kind of story, right? Once upon a time. I mean, I think that gets anybody into it. And, and it's, you know, it, it, there's a reason almost every single fairy tale starts like that. In right. fact, I was, well, I'm going to talk in Norway in a couple of weeks and I was looking up Norwegian fairy tales because I thought, well, this won't work if I'm talking about once upon a time and that's a... Anglo-American thing, but all of their fairy tales started with Once on a Time, which is, I guess, the their translation. Version. But yeah, it was like, it, it takes people back to a time that no longer exists. All right. Number two, you say, is give away the ending. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is kind of antithetical, but um, I studied English lit in college and I started thinking about, you know, Shakespeare and, and a lot of the, the epic stories, they actually start by summarizing what the story's going to be about. You know, like in Fair Verona, there's these two families that are warring and someone's going to die and you're like, oh, you just gave away the ending. But you told the whole story. It really gets people in because, in, and it gives you a framework for something if it's going to seem complicated to, you know, oh, there's going to be a murder. Oh, there's going to be a death. And that's okay because then the question for the readers is, not what's going to happen, but who gets murdered? How did that murder take? Why, why did we get here? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that should be done every single time, 
but um, I think it's a, a way to think about, you know, you can often give away the ending in order to make people want to know more and back up um, or a brief summary of it. So you, you have a couple other examples here. You want to you read the one for Vanity Fair? Yeah, so this was, um, I think especially when a lot of my stories, especially too, are, are about off the news. You're not giving people, I'm, I'm not giving people the news anymore. I'm, a lot of times I'm telling people something or showing people something about something they already knew was going to happen, already had happened, right? You're telling them more about the how and the why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm not breaking the news in a lot of times. Um, this was a story in Vanity Fair by a man named William Langswitch, and he could have started the story with the plane taking off. It was about a, a, the aftermath of a plane crash. Um, instead, he fast-forwarded readers right through the crash to two years later um, and talked about their bodies still being buried beneath the sea. So he's, does, he's not focusing on the crash. Um, this is how he started. On the last day of May in 2009, as night enveloped the airport in Rio de Janeiro, the 216 passengers waiting to board a flight to Paris could not have suspected they would never see daylight again or that many would sit strapped to their seats for another two years before being found dead in the darkness, 13,000 feet below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean. So again, he's giving away a lot. You know the story involves a plane crash. You know everyone's dead. You know they've been dead for two years. Um, but then it's like, what? <laughs> and how come no one found them before then? Right. Or, you know. right. But yeah, I mean, I think you could have just as easily started with the plane taking off and all the people in their seats not knowing they're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know. But he, he brings you forward so that you can enjoy the next part of the story. This is a great way to tell narrative sometimes too. When if you're in a newsroom, that that people are resistant to narrative and they and they they don't want to give you the the kind of they don't have the patience for the story. So they want to make sure that the reader gets the recap. So you can recap at the top and then still still create enough curiosity to launch people back and sort of want to want to see it unfold. And it transports readers back to that moment of the news too. And they'll oh yeah, I remember when that plane crashed. Right. You know. Right. Do you want to do the Michael Cruz example too? Sure. So um, Michael Cruz used to work with us here. I miss him very much. He works at Politico now. Um, He wrote a story about a young girl named Jessica Lunsford who was murdered. And and the story was all over every media outlet for a long, long time. And uh, Michael set out to tell a story about who was this little girl, not what happened to her, but who was she? Um, He starts with when, just like the last one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Before February 24th, 2005, before she was taken from her room in her home in the dark, before she was kept and raped and buried alive in black plastic trash bags, before her name and her face conjured a crime and a law and a cause, she was just Jessie. Wow. Um, he, you know, the before, the before, the before, he's basically like really stringing the readers back like before there was news, right? right. And, and taking it to the time when she was just what she should have been, a little girl. Right. Which is a great, I mean, what a great way in to sort of send you into like, okay, we're not going to talk about all that. She's in, the, she's in the news because of all that, but that's not what this story is about. Right, and he doesn't even come back to the crime till the very end of the story. He also doesn't really name her. He uses she a lot, which is making that last part of that lead so effective. She was right. just Jesse. Right. It so personalizes it. The third approach, you said, ask a question. Yeah, I, th- I think this doesn't always work, um, and it's kind of, it seems sophomoric when it's not, when it's done wrong, you know, like to start out with a question. So be careful. So yeah, this is sparingly, you know, but um, if, if you have a question you can pose to the readers or a quote from somebody who actually asked a question, sometimes that, that's a, a very um, engaging way to start. Um, 
my favorite children's book. I think we've mentioned this before. Maybe my favorite book of all times, actually, Charlotte's Web. Um, and E.B. White opens his story with a quote that is a question that makes it impossible not to want to keep reading. Here's the lead. Where's Papa going with that axe? Where's Papa going with that axe? You can't, I can't think of a better way. You have a little kid, right? You have a murderous weapon. You have someone wondering, like, what the heck is my dad doing? And then the rest of that sentence is said, referring to her mother as they were setting the table for breakfast. So it's such a normal scene of domesticity. You know it's a little girl. You know it's something kind of country people because you use the word papa, not father or daddy or whatever. He just he, he gets so much across in that one little lead. Um, and, and it sets a place where everybody in the world has been at the table eating breakfast. You know, it's so universal right there. But it sets the stakes up so high. It's, it's life and death. It's a murder weapon. And you also talk about how the question doesn't have to be direct. It can be implied. And um, so talk about Kelly's story. Yeah, so one of the, I think this is the first story I remember reading that I remember looking at the byline and saying, oh, that's Kelly Benham's story. Um, she was in a bureau. She was far away from the downtown office, but everybody in the newsroom was passing the story around and talking about it. Um, it was a story inside the local section about a strange attack that you know probably wouldn't have made, made the crime blotter, um, but she told it as a crime story, and then she implied this question. This is her lead. When they heard the screams... No one suspected the rooster. It's full of questions. So, yeah, it's not a question, but you can't stop at thinking, like, who was screaming? Why were they screaming? What did the rooster do, you know? Um, this is In this story, the farm animal is the villain, unlike <laughs> the pig that gets to be the hero in Charlotte's Web. But I just thought that was such a brilliant lead, and she wrote it in her head as she was coming back from the interview. So it, was, awesome. it wasn't something, you know, she, she fretted over for a long time. So, uh, number four, think cinematically. Um, which, of course, we try to encourage people to do all the time, not just the beginning of stories, but beginning of stories. You say, close your eyes, try to see the stories if it were a movie. And you do this. That's usually where I start. Yeah. yeah. Like really trying to envision it. Like where would the camera start? Would we pan out wide over a neighborhood? Would we zoom in tight on a single mother's tear? What do we see? How much do we want to reveal? Um, and, and that's kind of that sense of place again, Um having that opening scene that transports your readers somewhere and makes them want to know more. You know, I, I, I think about the, the lead not only as a first sentence, but usually the first paragraph or the first chunk yeah. of the section, like where are you going to turn? Um, I want to, I want him to come back with me. I heard a guy talk once about, he wrote um, Xena warrior princess episodes and he said he had to get him to come back after the commercial. And I think about that with the jump on the page, right. you know, like how, how do you get him to come back? So you have to ask them, or make them see something that makes them want to know more. So you, you're you highlighting um, the first paragraph of Dirty John, which is Chris Gofford's story and podcast. Yeah, that? Chris Gofford of the LA Times used to work with us here too. He's a, a brilliant writer, and he started his, I think it was a series first, and then it became yeah. a podcast, and now it's a TV movie. It's wonderful. Um, but this is the beginning of his, which seems so normal. Their first date was at Houston's, a restaurant in Irvine, where he opened the door for her and put her napkin on her lap. Candles flickered along the polished mahogany bar. Jazz drifted from speakers. Conversations purred. So it's really, it's almost like, to me, it's an everyman scene. Like, almost everybody has been, or can right. picture that. 
right. seen. And yet it's so ordinary and something so extraordinary is about to happen. Right. You something know? sinister is coming. Exactly. We're starting there. Yeah. And it seems so happy. I mean, he put her napkin on her lap. What a good guy, right? Like yeah. these little details. Um, it, but I, I think it, it opens to me. It seems like you're watching a movie, you know. And then for contrast, so um, Lane picked out a David Barstow story from the New York Times, which isn't cre- doesn't create a nice, happy date moment. <laughs> yeah, these are. I mean, this couldn't be more opposite. I, I I like to think of the extremes. Like here's something this this date everybody can relate to, and here's this other thing that David Barstow finds that hopefully not many people can relate right. to, um, and and, and kind of makes this this factory a character. It is said that only the desperate seek work at Tyler Pipe, a sprawling, rusting pipe foundry out on Route 69, just past the flea market. Behind a high metal fence lies a workplace that is part Dickens and part Darwin, a dim, dirty, hellishly hot place where men are regularly disfigured by amputation. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ...and burns. Yeah, all of these you just got to keep reading. Creates right? that that hellish scene. I love his alliteration in there too, d- yeah. and and the the juxtaposition between Dickens and Darwin. That's I just, he packs a lot in that. You talk, okay. Number five, get inside your subject's head. Yeah, this is something that I can't even remember when I started thinking about it, but it's definitely not something as a young reporter that was on my radar of like trying to get into the thoughts of the people I would ask people what were you doing when this happened or what did you see but not what were you thinking or what were you worrying about you know and and I think it's it's almost impossibly delicious to be able to tell your readers like no I know what was going on in their mind while that happened you know you're basically becoming the biographer in a way for somebody like right and you just yeah yeah it's like as close to first person as you can get without being first person you know um any kind of insight or perspective that you get um, w- when you're taking readers inside their head, I, I think that they believe you, that it makes you more credible as a narrator too. It gives you authority, you know, over your subject. So, um, yeah, go to this example of the bus driver. So you were you were trying to write this story about this guy, and he had told you that the hardest part of his job was trying to stay awake. So right. while he's driving uh, celebrities around who are partying, I guess, in the back. Um, and so you put yourself in his place. Yeah, well, this was a story I wrote for you. And I remember thinking, is she going to let me do this? <laughs> because I really, I had. The answer was yes. <laughs> I had interviewed this guy. Um, he was driving the jam band Fish. And uh, I sat in the bus with him the whole time Fish was playing. So I had a good, like, almost three hours. And uh, I, I. I always ask everybody what's the hardest part and he was talking about trying to stay awake and so I thought well how can I convey that and then I was like well I'll just pretend I'm him you know (laughs) like so this is this is actually one of my favorite leads even all these years later because I felt like it was the first time I broke through and was able to do this um it starts like this there's a time of night well technically it's morning but it sure feels like night because you haven't slept in 36 hours or is it 46 And you've already driven through three states, but you still have one to cover. And the next gig starts in eight hours, and the groupies are probably already waiting. 
we will the sun to wake up, to wake you up, but it's still so blasted black ahead. It was great, lady. He was he was a great a interview story, too. Yeah, yeah he yeah. gave me all kind of details about the bee pollen he took and the, the annex that the people behind him were doing when they were all wasted on the bus and he's trying to stay sober and alert. And yeah, um, you were picking as another example came uh, last year's Pulitzer Prize for feature writing, um, which was um, the story about Dylan Roof and the shooting in South Carolina. It was a a black woman who went down there to write, and she intended to write about the victims. But then she got caught up in her own kind of trying to understand this lunatic. Um, but the very simple beginning, yeah. Yeah, she you know, she gets in the mind of this killer, who's actually, she says she can't even fathom how a human being could do this. Um, and I love this, the simplicity of this lead and the details she got. Sitting beside the church, drinking from a bottle of Smirnoff ice, he thought he had to go in and shoot them. Oh. Right in his head while he's drinking that telling kind of drink, you know. I, I just think it's simple and it's lovely. And she's got the church in there with the shooting in the very first sentence. How do you pronounce her last name? Rachel Ansha? 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 Is I the G know. silent? I'm not sure. We're not sure how to pronounce it, but anyway, it was, yeah. It's a story so from GQ. It's a lovely kind of just simple, very simple um, number six, start as close to the end as you can. So we've talked about that. You said you had an, uh, an editor once who always wanted you to do that. Yeah, that was kind of his fallback. If you don't know where to start, figure out where it's going to climax and start right before that. Um, so then you're at the most dramatic moment. Basically. Exactly. And then the rest of the story is getting back to that place so that you can make the climax pay off, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, we, tried, um, we tried a lot of different leads for the story I did about Phoebe, the guy, dad who dropped his daughter, his five-year-old daughter off the bridge. And, you know, we first started thinking about, like, let's start with the moment that he drops her off the bridge. And then I said, well, that's not exactly where, it, I mean, that is the climax, right? That's the climax he's mm -hmm. going to drop her. So I backed up just a little bit further and started at the moment that um, I, th I think he knew what he was going to do. Um, so this is the beginning that starts maybe an hour or two before the tragedy. On the night Phoebe's dad scooped her from her bed, the moon was high outside her window. The house was quiet. He carried her out the door into the dark. And we, we talked about that a lot in terms of like any parent, like who's going to scoop their sleeping kid from mm -hmm. the bed in the middle of the night? Something's yeah, you know ominous something is going to happen. Gonna happen. <laughs> it's not going to end well, and of course it didn't. Um, but we didn't, We I think I ended the opening of that with he let go. Right. He held her over the railing yeah. and he let go. Because uh, you can imagine, it's worse if you imagine it. I mean, that's yeah. a little bit of, that's the thing sometimes when people are, are, especially really dramatic stories, it's like, you know, you sometimes when you describe too much, it's, it's it takes away some of it. Yeah, when you when you ended that section and he drops her, it's like, oh my God, your head is just, ugh. Yeah, and I, I think I overwrote that too I think I I had more about her like he heard her screaming on the way down mm -hmm. he heard the splash and it was like no I think you just, just end drop. with him letting go you know he let go okay number seven meaning in details what do you mean by that um I think sprinkling just enough specific details to make the reader want to know more or, or telling details like the, the guy drinking Smirnoff ice is way different than if he'd been drinking a Bud Light it just right. tells you something without having to say a thing you right. know so I, I love details that do that um, and I love uh, I love nicknames and things like that that conjure a question of like how did that person get that nickname I, I think all of that makes the readers hungry um, 
This was from a, a John Mooling piece in the New York Times Magazine. It opens with just 15 words, but leaves at least as many questions hanging. This is how he starts. The Pigeon King delivered his closing statement to the jury, dressed in his only suit. Yeah, I love the simplicity. And, how could uh, you not want to know more, right? Right, right. Um, number eight, tap into five senses. Or as many senses as you can. Maybe you can't tap into all five, but tap into a lot of them. <laughs> we kind of got to into, tap into the scene here. That we, all, we all do that. Mm-hmm. But we talked about this before, like just the transportiveness of smell and taste um, mm-hmm. are really, really strong. Um, I, I, I was doing a story. I think this was for you, too. It, it was? It was about a... We, I'm, I was glad, like, I'm glad two of your favorite leads are from before. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I probably was more excited with them then than I am now. <laughs> it was like when oh, it worked, I do this I all the like, time oh, now. It was yeah. it worked. Um but this was I think the pitch on this story was like we always read about the all American football players right. and the state champion you know you wanted the to do the, the like, band geeks the band to the guys state some competition. Love. Yes. Yeah. So I followed this trumpet player um, and I was like, compl- I had been in a high school band, I don't know, 15 years before I wrote the story, but it was so transportive when I went back into the room to report it and I was like, oh my God, this, I forgot about this, what it smells like. So the beginning of this was the hallway smells like spit and sweat and brass. And when I mention this, sometimes in writer's conferences and stuff, you can see the people nodding, like anybody who's in high school band is like, oh my God, it totally smelled like that. Damn trombone players dropping their spit on the carpet. Um, okay, number nine, shock and awe. Um, sometimes the best way to draw readers in is to make them cringe or cry or just go, what? <laughs> I, I, I think that, that uh, I don't do it often, but but when I have something like that, uh, I get pretty excited. Um, it's something you might not be able to relate to, but you can't help but wanting to know more. Um, this was a story. <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a great lead. This is a story set uh, in the Atlantic by a woman named Caitlin Flanagan. Wait, um, I challenge anyone to not want to keep reading after this lead. Go ahead. I love the language she uses too. And again, it starts with a, a, a when and a, and a who. One warm spring night in 2011, a young man named Travis Hughes stood on the back deck of the Alpha Tau Omega Fraternity House at Marshall University in West Virginia and was struck by what seemed to him under the influence of powerful inebriants, not the least among them the clear ether of youth itself, to be an excellent idea. He would shove a bottle rocket up his ass and blast it into the sweet night air. <laughs> you got the what yeah, there, too. That's you just don't have well. the why. Like, what? Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Well. <laughs> shove a bottle rocket up your ass, Travis. That's a good idea. Okay. And number 10, take me with you. Yeah, this is something I don't really ever think of, but I think um, especially increasingly now people like transparency and investigations and things like that or, or journalism that, that uncovers a wrong or something or mystery, and I think it's okay. Not, well, I really don't like being the character in my story, but I think you can bring the readers along for the ride without you having to be the detective. You're just talking about saying, what motivated you in the first place, what caught your eye. Yeah, yeah. how did so you find it? doesn't necessarily it? have to be a you're not a character necessarily, but yeah. Right. How did, how did you find it? Where did it start um, for you? You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's an easy default, I think, as a writer to, to, to bring the readers in at the moment that you became interested in the story or the moment you realized there was a story there. Mm-hmm. Um, readers love being led into the reporting process and going along for the ride. So sometimes it's okay to start with an email or a, a phone call or something and talk about your own curiosity and the hunt that drew you in. Um, 
this I, I love this is from a woman who works here now for us, um, Kirsten Hale, who used to write for the St. Hare, Louis. Kristen Hare. Hare. Yes. Hare. Hare? Kristen Hare. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Sorry. It's a typo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she wrote this for the St. Louis Beacon, and this is what she wrote. The baby showed up on Craigslist at 1.26 p.m. May 6th. The rest of the story is a quote from the Craigslist ad that she found. Quote, from glowing cheeks to the tips of ten tiny toes, arms and legs have soft baby creases and folds. He has sparkling brown eyes and brown hair and the cutest little smile. She sleeps with open mouth. My twins are yours for $60. Firm cash price. That's some crazy shit. <laughs> she didn't have to say any more than what that amazing ad said that drew her to that story in the first place. And all of a sudden, all the readers are right there with her, you know. Oh, my God. Who's going to sell their twins for 60 bucks on Craigslist? You could. I don't think you could have come up with a better lead than what that right, was. Than what you it know? was. Yeah. Um, okay. So there they are. Those are 10 other approaches to beginnings there so that you can put your head around those and agonize some more. Uh, don't be afraid to annoy your editor by giving her more than one or two options. Sure. <laughs> sometimes when I can't figure out one, I'll say, here, Maria, there's three. You pick. <laughs> All right. If you have a question for Lane or like or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.